So, um, the background is that Paul was writing this letter. Uh, and Paul had, you know, Paul the guy who had that experience on the road to Damascus where he met Jesus in a really powerful way. And the whole course of his history, or his future, should I say, completely changed. And the whole of history changed as a result of it. Churches were springing up all over the place. Churches that he started, and then churches that people who were under his teaching uh, also started. And and the church in Colossae is one of those. It's a church plant uh, by a guy called Epaphras. And uh, he was writing uh, to Paul and saying, Paul, I want to um, ask you some advice for this church in Colossae. Uh, they're a great church. They're really solid in their faith. But also, I'm slightly worried about this one thing. And so uh, we're going to be finding out all about uh, what he was worried about. So we're going to read Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15 together. Are we ready? I feel like I need a drink. Archie could be my glamorous assistant this time, couldn't he? I'm going to just hold it there, okay? <laughs> just stay there the whole time. Are you cool with that? <laughs> you can put it on the floor if you like. <laughs> okay, so Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. It's called Spiritual Fullness in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you for your word, Lord. In uh, verse 6 in the NIV translation, it says, uh, continue to live your lives for him. And uh, I've been quite enjoying reading uh, bits of the Bible in the message uh, recently. And in the message, it says, you received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out, quit studying the subject, and start living it. So this morning we're going to be looking at that little phrase, live it. So I've called this preach, uh, living life to the full. So we're going to look at it in two parts. We're going to look at living life to the full in the light of eternity. And we're going to look at living life to the full in the light of what Jesus has done. Uh, I recently watched a video clip by a guy called Francis Chan. 
He's a great guy. And uh, he pastors a big church in America, and he was also a youth pastor. And he used uh, this illustration that I'm going to try and recreate this morning. I won't do it as well as him, but anyway. He said to his guys, imagine that your life, your timeline of your life, is like this rope that keeps going and 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 keeps going all the way into eternity. Now, obviously, this illustration falls short because actually that rope does come to an end. I couldn't get a never-ending piece of rope. However, you get the idea. This is like a timeline of our lives. And see this little bit, this little yellow bit at the end? This is our time on earth. This is our time on earth. And he was talking about this passage in Philippians that says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And the thing is, guys, when we get to the end of our life on earth, we're going to stand before the maker of all things. We're going to stand before Jesus, and we're going to have to give an account for what we've done in this little bit here. And it's going to affect this bit here. This little bit here, we only get one chance of living is going to affect all of this bit here. So we're going to have a little look uh, at um, what it looks like to live with our eyes fixed on all of this, with our eyes fixed on eternity and not with our eyes fixed on this little bit here. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, so fix our eyes not not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So we're going to look at um, our lives in the light of eternity. So we're going to look at four different things. We're going to look at our relationships. We're going to look at our time. We're going to look at our money. And we're going to look at how we spend our lives. I'm going to put this down because I can't, I haven't got enough hands. Okay, so in our relationships, there's lots of relationships that we have, aren't they? Some of us are married, some of us aren't married. Uh, some of us have children, we have relationships with our children, some of us don't. Most of us will have friends, a lot of us will have uh, work colleagues. We have relationships with people all the time. That's what life is, isn't it? It's about relationships, it's about who we meet uh, daily. So let's look at uh, marriage. It wasn't all that long ago that uh, Archie and I had a hoover. Well, we still do have a hoover. <laughs> but it wasn't that long ago that we had a hoover that completely broke down. And uh, we didn't have loads of money at the time. And uh, we had a small group. And there was a couple in the small group who were probably in their 70s. And I said, oh, they were saying, what are you doing this weekend? I said, oh, we've got to go and buy a new hoover because our hoover is broken. And we need a new hoover. And uh, they said, i tell you what why don't we take it home and have a look at it and see if we can fix it and then bring it back to you. And then after we've seen whether we can fix it, then uh, you can go out and buy a new Hoover if you need one. So the following week, a small group came. At this point, obviously, my house was <laughs> disgusting because I hadn't been Hoover for a week. Uh, and they said, do you know what? We fixed your Hoover. And our Hoover then was okay for the next couple of years. It did eventually die again. Uh, but that Hoover was okay for another couple of years. Do you know, we live in a world where when something's broken, 
we go and buy a new one. In fact, Samuel just this morning came in with a cuddly toy and said, Mum, can I buy a new one of these? It's broken. I said, no, Sam, we'll sew it together. And uh, I remember seeing something of this couple um, on Facebook and someone said to them, they're in their 80s, they've been married for a long time. And somebody had said to them, what is, this, what is the reason why you have a happy marriage, why you've had a happy marriage for so long? Do you know what they said? We lived in a day where when something was broken, you fixed it. You know, we're so quick to think, that's it, I just need to get a new one. Every evening uh, after people have gone home, Archie sets about making the children's pack lunches. Uh, I um, have decided, I think I spoke about this before, <laughs> and I clearly haven't done much about it, uh, that actually it would be a lot quicker to get these lunches done if I went and helped him and if I wasn't self <laughs> If I wasn't selfish uh, about my time and about my rest and quite enjoying my sleep. Uh, you know, if we started living less selfishly and thinking about others, life could look quite different, couldn't it, Archie? <laughs> and we want to model to our children and we want to model to society. Are you okay? You better. <laughs> um, that God's design for marriage is different from that that we see around us. Marriage is to be honoured and respected and not taken lightly. Our children. Uh, whoops, Daisy. Do you know, I've realised that lots of us think, do you know, look at this whole long line in the light of eternity. Look at this time here. We have our children for such a short amount of time at home. Such a short amount of time. But I've noticed that actually, as parents, we can make our children idols. And we can think, do you know what? I want to make sure that they have all the best clubs possible. Uh, I want to make sure they have all the best education so that this bit here is amazing. So they have a great retirement, so they have a great working life, so they have great all of this. And we forget about modeling to them that actually life on earth is about this bit here. It's about eternity. We need to model to our children what it looks like for us to live our lives in the light of what is to come, in the light of eternity. Uh, there's someone in this church who will remain nameless because I haven't asked him if I can use them as an example. But there's uh, someone in our church who every morning uh, they open their Bible with their children. The Bible is always on the table if you go in. It's open on their uh, little chalkboard. There's a verse on there that's spoken to them. You know, that is somebody who is investing in their children with their time, but also in the light of what it looks like to live a life that honors Jesus. It's amazing. I have incredible respect to her for her. Friendships, work colleagues, neighbours, school friends. People come and go out of our lives, don't they? And I think uh, now even more so than any other. People in the oil industry are here for a moment and then they're gone. One minute you've got a friend that you thought was going to be here for a long time. We've just had two uh, goodbye meals just in the last little while, just in our small little village. And uh, I was thinking and feeling very challenged recently about the day when I meet Jesus face to face, when I'm standing before him. I'm going to have friends who are going to stand there and they're going to say to me, you didn't tell me about this day. Jude, you knew about this. You knew I was going to stand before my maker and you didn't tell me about this day. And it's been such a challenge to me. 
It says in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. What about our time? When I'm standing before Jesus and I'm going to say, boy, I am so glad of all those box sets I've watched in my time. <laughs> Which we are watching quite a good one just now. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if any, who watches box sets or has watched box sets? Yeah. And that's not to shame you, by the way. <laughs> that wasn't the reason for it. But the thing is with box sets, you finish one. They're only about 40 minutes, right? You finish one, you think, oh, just another 40 minutes. We could just watch another one. You get to the end of the next 40 minutes, you're thinking, oh, just another 40 minutes. We could just be another 40 minutes later to bed. Before you know it, you've wasted hours watching a jolly box set. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure that I spend my time wisely. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, when I was 17, uh, which I realized this week is nearly 20 years ago, I'm starting to feel a bit old. Uh, when I was 17, uh, somebody came up to me at church and they said to me, I've had a picture of you, Jude, and you're sitting uh, in front of loads of children. And you're sitting on a chair, there's loads of children in front of you and you're telling them about Jesus. And what I didn't know was that, or what she didn't know, was that I was just about to go to university to become a primary school teacher. And I remember thinking, yes, God, this is what you've called me to. You have called me uh, to be with children. And then I spent the next, well, I don't know, five or so years teaching in school. And uh, I remember thinking... This is great. This is part of that picture. This is me sitting on a chair in front of loads of children talking to them. But there's something that's missing. Unless they ask me about Jesus, I can't tell them about Jesus. And I remember when uh, Chuck got a hold of me and Archie and suddenly realized that we enjoyed kids' ministry and uh, quite loved doing it. And I remember him asking us to take it on for the church. And do you know what is in part of my job description? is to go into schools and tell lots of children about Jesus. I don't want to waste my time on this earth. I want to do what God has called me to. I want to make a difference in eternity. Are there changes that we need to make to ensure that we're spending our time in the light of eternity? Hmm. It's almost like like you guys just suck all the moisture out of my mouth. <laughs> It's the craziest thing. I have the driest mouth when I'm talking here. Probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway. Okay, what about our money? Uh, it's not for me to tell you how to spend your money. That's between you and it's between God. And you know that none of the leadership team in the church, Archie or I, Chuck or Taryn, no one apart from our accountant knows what anybody gives. We don't want to. Because actually at the end of the day, it's between you and it's between Jesus. Uh, but recently I saw this quote. You might, have, if you're friends with me on Facebook, if you're not add me, if you are on Facebook, you'll have seen this. And, uh, it said, no one is going to stand up at your funeral and say, she had a really expensive couch and great shoes. Don't make life about stuff. Don't make life about stuff. In my own personal reading this week, I've been reading Haggai. And it was talking about the rebuilding of the temple uh, after the Jews had returned home from exile. And Haggai challenged the people, and this is what he said. Uh, this is from the message version as well. 
just because I'm enjoying reading it in that version at the minute. Uh, how is it that it's the right time for you to live in your fine new homes whilst the home, God's temple, is in ruins? Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You have spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but they never filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket. That's what. And he goes on to say that we need to start pouring our lives into rebuilding the temple. But don't do it for me. Don't do it for Archie. Don't do it for your husband, your wife, Chuck or Taryn. Do it for him. Do it for him. Do it for Jesus. Uh, how do we spend our lives? As a small group, we've doing, been doing a series called Basic. And uh, it's great. It's also that guy, Francis Chan. Obviously, <laughs> quite enjoying uh, his teaching at the minute. Um, no, it's fine. quite enjoyed the little jingle. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, don't worry. Uh, so, um, as a small group, we've been doing this, and the guy was talking about how in the Word, in the Bible, uh, it's got everything that we need to know. It's got everything we need to know about what following Jesus looks like. Everything we need to know is in here. And it said, didn't it, at the beginning, it said, stop studying and live it. It doesn't mean to say we stop reading the Bible. It means we need to make sure we live what it says in here. And he was talking about his daughter. And he said, I say to my daughter quite often, go upstairs and tidy your room. She goes upstairs. She comes back downstairs. He says, have you tidied your room? No, I haven't tidied my room. I was just playing with a toy while I was there. And imagine if she said, I tell you what, Dad, during the week this week, I'm going to have some friends around. I'm going to uh, get all my friends around. We're going to have a little look at my bedroom. We're going to look around the room. We're going to decide how we could tidy it. We're going to decide what it might look like once it is tidied. Does that sound familiar? We can get together here on a Sunday. We can get together in the middle of the week. We can look at what it says in the Word. We can read it. And then we can go away and not live it. Like that little girl who never tidied her bedroom. We have to live it, church. We have to live it. I'm not there. I haven't got it all right. But God wants us to be living it. We could, we could change this area if we really lived what it said in the word. We could. Well, through him, obviously. Uh, when I spent my time reading kind of around this passage, it was very clear that uh, the church in this day uh, had loads of things that they had added to the gospel. They'd added to the fact that Jesus, all we need is to accept that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. But they were um, encouraging everyone to make sure, all the, all the men, to make sure that they were circumcised. But what it says in this passage is this. Let me see if I can find it. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. You were, uh, your whole self was ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It's about a circumcision of our heart. It's about... Dying to our old selves. 
Now I've completely lost where I was. It's about God working in our lives. We're going to have a look now at what it looks like to live life in the full of what, in the light of what Jesus has done for us. It says at the beginning, doesn't it, that we were dead in our sins. What does that mean, we were dead in our sins? When I was a child, I used to visit my grandma, and uh, we would walk along uh, the road down to the duck pond to go and feed the ducks. And one day, we were walking along down to the duck pond, and uh, as we were walking, this cat ran out in front of this car and was run over by this car. It was lying on its back with its legs twitching. It was nothing that that cat could do in that moment to save itself. It needed a saviour. It needed someone to pick it up, to take it to its owner, to take it to the vet, and to get it sorted. I still remember it very clearly. In fact, I think it was the end of that cat. But, you know, I think sometimes we forget that we are dead in our sins. There's nothing that we personally can do about it. Nothing that we personally can do about it. We need a saviour. Who's that saviour? That's like a Sunday school question, isn't it? And they answer the wrong thing. You're right, it is. It's Jesus. Who's that saviour? Jesus. God in human form, blameless and spotless. So he could take the punishment for everything that we've done wrong. We can't earn it by our own strength. It's God who did it through Jesus. And then it says, Jesus forgave our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He'd taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The bit that says that it was cancelled or wiped out, in the original Greek, uh, there's a word for it. And ancient documents uh, were written either on papyrus paper, or they were uh, written on the skins of animals. I can't say that word, but anyway, on the skins of animals. And um, they would use ink, and the ink in their day didn't have any acid in it. So the ink, the ink that we use has acid in it, and it sinks right into the paper. But the ink that they would use, as they wrote, would lay on the top. And because this paper was really expensive, they would sometimes just wipe it clean. And uh, that word was meaning wiped clean as if it had been never been. That's what Jesus did, wiping out our sins when he nailed them to the cross. They're gone as if they had never been. I don't think that I've really totally grasped that properly until this week as I was reading it, thinking, they're gone as if they've never been. There was a while ago when, um, a long time ago, when Archie and I first got married, and I remember going over and over and over something that I'd done wrong and saying to Archie about it. He's like, Jude, Jesus has forgiven you for that. And I'd bring it back up and back up and back up. It wasn't the fact that Jesus hadn't forgiven me. It was the fact that I hadn't forgiven myself. It was the fact that I was holding on to it. It was the fact that I properly hadn't grasped that Jesus dealt with it so that it was though it had never been. It was wiped clean as though it had never been. Maybe there's things that you're holding on to. Maybe it's false guilt or uh, something in your past. And you need God to remind you that you're forgiven as though it's never been. 
You're forgiven as though it's never been. I love this quote. Man is no longer a criminal who has broken the law and is at the mercy of God's judgment. He is a son who was lost and can now come home to be wrapped around with the grace of God. Man is no longer a criminal who has broken the law and is at the mercy of God's judgment. He is a son who was lost and can now come home to be wrapped around with God's grace. Amazing. Uh, the church in the time of Colossae were really into the whole spiritual forces. And I imagine they were the kind of people that looked kind of for a demon under every doormat. But Paul says in verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The word disarming in the original is that of someone who is stripped of their armor and of their weapons. And the Roman general, if he won a notable victory, he would march through the street, super proud, through Rome, with his army behind him. And behind his army would be the army of the people that he had defeated, so that everyone could see that they they had been beaten. That's what Paul thinks of Jesus as a conqueror, enjoying a kind of cosmic triumph, beaten forever, for everyone to see by Jesus' death and resurrection. Are we living as though Jesus has the victory? Are we living as though Jesus has won the victory? If we are, we can live in freedom. Freedom from rules and traditions because it's about following Jesus. It's about saying to Jesus, Jesus, you do heart surgery with me. You look at what's going in my life. You challenge me. And he will. (laughs) Mark my words, he will. We need to keep our hearts soft towards him. Freedom from fear of the future. Because he holds eternity in his hands. We don't need to be scared of the future because he holds eternity in his hands. Freedom from the past. Because he's forgiven our sins as though they had never been. Freedom from the grip of the enemy, because he was defeated on the cross when Jesus paid for all our sins and when he rose back to life. You see, in these vivid pictures that Paul uses, Paul wants us to see the total adequacy of the work of Jesus. Sin is forgiven and evil is conquered. What more is necessary? Are we living life to the full in the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us? That evil has been conquered, sin has been forgiven. And that means we can live in freedom in the light of eternity. Let's just pray.